Welcome back to The Outsiders. It's your third favorite co-host, Chris Bakke, here with your first or second favorite co-host, Alex Cohen. We're missing uh, Michael Girdley today. Uh, this episode is going to be all about fraud. And, uh, you know, Michael just didn't want to, 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 you know, tarnish his good reputation by getting involved in a fraud chat. So it's Alex and I handling solo today. But uh, we have some kind of, you know. He's up to no good. He's up to no good. He's just committing fraud and he didn't want to be complicit in this conversation because he knows too much. It's possible. Certainly possible. (laughs) Um, So we're talking about, what's her name? Charlie Javis, right? With Frank arrested last night. Uh, yep. do you want to, do you want to cover the, the high level Alex? Yeah. Uh, I would love to do nothing more than talk about this fraud. So last night, uh, us government arrested Charlie Javis. She is the founder of a FinTech company called Frank. They got acquired by JP Morgan back in 2021 for $175 million in that acquisition. She claimed that they had 4.25 million student customers using the platform, getting financial aid, and that she had data on all of them when in fact she only had data on 300,000 customers. And so the whole story is that she was in conversations with JP Morgan for an acquisition. Things were progressing, they were going well. When it came time to actually look under the hood and see their usage base, um, how many students they had, uh, she asked her VP of engineering to go and make a bunch of fraudulent accounts so that they could fluff the numbers and say they had millions and millions of customers. Uh, when he declined her request, she went and paid a professor a modest $18,000 and an unnamed data science professor to fabricate these other customers. So on Tuesday, which is today, um, the U.S. government filed criminal charges accusing Charlie Javis, the founder of the now shuttered college financial aid company, Frank of defrauding J.P. Morgan Chase into buying the startup for $175 million. She's being charged with bank fraud, securities fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy. Each of them carries a maximum 20 to 30-year prison term. Uh, She appeared briefly on Tuesday before the U.S. Magistrate Judge Barbara Moses in Manhattan, who set the bail at $2 million, and the Securities and Exchange Commission has filed related civil charges. So... Let's get into it. That is that is a lot happening on the same day that Trump is also arrested. So just man, the, I know the, her, uh, the, the government. coordination of that's pretty amazing. I wonder, uh, I wonder if there was some some PR bargaining. She has a pretty powerful lawyer, this mm. guy Alex Spiro, who has a crazy track record himself of representing Aaron Hernandez, Jay Z, Robert Kraft during his misdemeanor charges of solicitation. Uh, wow. He worked with Elon in the Twitter deal. Uh, he's worked with Killer Mike, Meek Mill, Yo Gotti, Chance the Rapper, Don Lewis. <laughs> like it's it's a pretty wild Javis. roster. Everybody from like Javis. the Frank, you know, founder to like Jay Z to Aaron Hernandez. So this guy, this guy is clearly, and he's only forty. So uh, wow. he's probably making tens of millions off of uh, off of borderline, you know, fraudsters like like uh, Charlie. So that's amazing. You know, I know who to call. Business. Yeah, I know who to call when I commit fraud in the next few years. Totally, so. it's inevitable. Uh, <laughs> and she's only thirty-one. Like she's young, she's going to prison over, over defrauding. Um, like if you're going to defraud someone, don't go defraud the largest bank in America, and then don't go around and sue them when they call you out for for frauding them. They have way more money and resources, and Jamie Dimon doesn't want to look like an idiot, and so he's going to do the thing that he says he's going to do, and and that's just. Uh, that's life. And 
you know, for all of this, they only paid her $21 million for her stake in the company. Like at the time she didn't own that much of her company, which is really common with these venture back companies. Like if I do yeah. 21 divided by 175, she owned 12% of the company by the time they exited. And, uh, yeah, I think she had a retention plan of, of, of a bit more on top of that all in. Yeah. All in $45 million from the sale of her company. 20 million was an employment retention plan. 21 million was for her equity stake in the company. And, and that was, um, that's been confirmed by prosecutors, the amount that she, that she made out with from that. But like you're, you're, it's not worth going to prison for over $45 million when the fraud is just that blatant and obvious, just making up customer accounts. Like, they're going to find I mean, out. I mean, 21 million, you're going to pay, she's in New York, you're going to pay taxes, 53% of that. So now you're down you to know. 10 and now you go buy a nice uh, three bedroom loft and you're down to seven and she's basically yep. just doing fraud for free is, is I think the argument here. And then she, she just spends another 2 million on her, on her, uh, on her attorney, who's a yeah. famous attorney. So she's, She's about to be bankrupt and in prison because yeah. you know she's not getting that retail. Well, I guess what are we? We're two years after the acquisition, so maybe she's close to getting her full forty or uh, twenty million dollar employment. Could be somewhere between top two and four year earnout on those typically. Yeah, yeah it's um yeah. And, and you know I I learned because we we had briefly mentioned this uh, on on the podcast I think uh, a couple months ago right when we were getting started. But one detail that I learned in researching this that's kind of amazing is that JP Morgan only discovered this discrepancy when somebody from their marketing team went to email 400,000 Frank customers <laughs> and over 70% of the emails immediately bounced back. <laughs> and they're like, wow, well, that's not great. So that, that started yeah. this spiral of people looking into it. And I think to your point, you know, of, of defrauding JP Morgan, one thing that got brought up by uh, a VC who I really respect on Twitter was like, it's kind of amazing that in the grand scheme of things, as big as JP Morgan is, as much M&A that they do, this is a great party for them to come forward uh, about in terms of fraud, because mm -hmm. a lot of these big companies, you know, gobble up these small companies, uh, both sides are pushing the deal to get done very quickly for various reasons. Um, and there's just so many like high level reputations at stake. JP Morgan, they might've used like a Bain or a McKinsey uh, or a PwC yeah. or somebody for diligence. So like you have these kind of blue chip names involved in, in this type of work and when fraud does happen, when somebody does get, especially so blatantly screwed over, um, like 90% mm -hmm. of the customers just don't even exist, kind of the most basic type of diligence that you should be doing. Uh, it looks so bad on JP Morgan, on you know the banks, on the advisors, on everybody involved. And so a lot of times it's like, well, hey, we, um, we're able to recoup some of the costs because we're not going to pay, you know, the founders earnouts and we're going to fire all the employees and we're going to, you know, rake their grants back and whatever, but you know, we're still going to take a hundred million dollar loss on this. And it's just easier to sweep it under the rug than it is to so publicly talk about it. And I think Jamie Dimon and other execs from JP Morgan have gone very much on record, almost to like they're running their own PR campaign saying mm. we screwed up. This was a terrible acquisition. When you go to the main site, which is, uh, I think it's like, let's see, I have it here, withfrank.org. Okay. It just redirects to studentaid.gov. It's like, we, we're not even trying, <laughs> just go do your student aid stuff with the government directly. We want no involvement yeah. in this. You know, we screwed up. 
And so, yeah, I think it's awesome that they're they're taking uh, very public accountability for for getting this super wrong and and sort of making a, a, a an example out of her. Yeah, I mean, and at the at the end of the day, they could have just brushed it under the water or under the rug and um, and just said, "Hey, we're writing this off." You know, again, what's one hundred forty five million dollars? That and and not all that is paid out all at once. There's probably still that's being held back. And like, what is that in the grand scheme of things when you're a multi trillion dollar bank in terms of assets under management? But I do think it's good. I mean, it's it's going to hopefully have this ripple effect where people in the startup world think twice before lying about metrics, lying about customers, lying about revenue. The thing that's crazy to me with Frank is, is I don't know how you don't catch this during diligence because right. this feels like one of the most obvious things. Oh, you have 4 million customers. Okay. Like we need to go dig in and look at the customer list. Let's go look at the email campaigns you've sent. Like if I'm assuming, and I don't know the reason why JP Morgan originally acquired Frank, but if I'm them, I'm buying 4.25 million customer list, uh, student customer list to do two things. One is to market to them for uh, student loan financing or refinancing, um, or two is to offer them student credit cards and debit cards, which is very common for a big bank. They have those sort of entry level debit and credit cards. And you know, the first thing that I want to know is what's your open rate, what's your click through rate, how much are you making in referrals when you're sending them out to other financial companies? Like we want to own that, and those numbers should line up. If you got four and a quarter million customers and you're sending out, call it. You know, and let's say, let's say they they claimed all hundred percent of those are active. Like the math should math where even if two percent convert, that revenue should trickle back into the P and L and balance sheet, and you should be able to go look at that as a company when you're diligencing. And so it's 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 a bit foreign to me to think about how they got away or, or how they they just didn't catch that during diligence and think, oh, perhaps they're lying about the number of users they have. Cause you and I both know when we're talking to a company and we're investing in a company, that is the very first thing that I dig into is someone says, Oh, we have 60% weekly retention or 30% daily active users or this amount of acquisition. And I'm like, okay, show me the math, show me the retention charts, show me the things you've been doing. Um, my inclination is always to just not believe any founder when they talk about user metrics. Yeah. And I think it's a hybrid of they, there's certain things that aren't measured in the early days, which I think is, uh, that's the sort of unknown. And I think that founders get carried away with just making up for the unknown. Like one of the best answers that I think a founder can give when pitching is an, I don't know, or I'll get back to you. When somebody has yeah. all the answers, it is terrifying as an investor, right? <laughs> there's like nothing worse. No, and, and so you could, it just feels like a sales pitch. It feels rehearsed and, and, and I, no one wants that. You want a bit of authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. yeah, we get it. You're, you're a, you're a, uh, three month old, six month old, you know, 18 month old company. You're not going to have all of the data. You should know your business pretty well, but like, you're not going to have all the answers. And so, no. uh, and, and I mean, that's off of a 30 minute, maybe hour long initial diligence call that like, hopefully most investors are, are doing. Um, I mean, a deal like this would probably take somewhere between 30 and 90 days end to end. I mean, 30 days mm -hmm. if they're just sprinting, but like thousands of hours being invested on JP Morgan's yeah. side and whoever, you know, the advisors are and banks are that, that are sort of advising them in this deal. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy that basic stuff like that got missed. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, I mean, I was looking back at the initial, uh, the initial launch articles when when uh, Frank came out in January 2018 and they raised $15 million from investors and were talking about the things they were doing and their whole thing was like, here's one 
we're, we're building one application and one form to take in all your student loan related information so we can figure out if there's ways to either uh, basically to apply for FAFSA grants without having to go to a hundred different sites and go and like basically hack the system because there is a lot of unclaimed student related money and, and, and financial aid sitting out there that's not just hey take out a loan but you would think somewhere in that process would be what email campaigns have you run? Let us go look at your SendGrid data. Let us go look at your Brace campaigns, you know, just as a part of basic due diligence because that's what the company does at its core. Um, you know, I think, I think it would be hard. I, I, don't, I don't know how it works at that scale. It'd be hard to be like, hey, clone a copy of your database of students and give it to us and we'll run it through some like LexisNexis fraud checker. But ultimately, that, that is what she ended up doing. So after, I was reading, after JP Morgan started pressing her for... Um, for information uh, and like pr pressing on having fraudulent accounts, she then paid like a couple hundred grand to have LexisNexis like fill in the missing data pieces. But it obviously wouldn't work because they're, or she was trying to buy those lists and like fill in those, those, those lists. But like then, Oh, now what you have 7 million users. Like, Oh, we don't know what happened to the, <laughs> you know, what the first one is. So and that would have been actually the right thing to do as a company. If I were them back in the day, I would have bought, lists from Experian and TransUnion and Equifax and LexisNexis. And you could build a really good remarketing campaign list. And if you can acquire those, like, that's great. Fine. Go sell a company saying, hey, we have 4 million registered in-market students who have loans. Um, but then when you're claiming they're like active users on your platform and you have them, like they filled out all the data for you. Um, plus, I'm not, a, I'm not a fraudster, but if I was her... <laughs> I would have just like taken as much LexisNexis data as possible and like fake filled out accounts, like just use the real data. I think she like made all this data on different permutations of like addresses and locations and schools and things like that. At least use like real fucking data. Like don't, don't make it up. Yeah. Well, this, this gets into the next part of it, which is if you, and I've talked to so many founders and growth people and investors about like this specific deal. And what's amazing is when you talk to anyone and my first instinct is the same thing. Your initial reaction is like, here's how I could have done it better. And that's what makes this amazing is like the fraud was yeah. so terrible. It was so just like base <laughs> level bad. There's like, I mean, it's literally like, it's, it's kind of the same thing of, of this like Trump case, ironically, of just like actual like hush money mm -hmm. payments being made. But there's like an entire paper trail between her and the chief growth officer and this like, you know, data science professor and these up workers. And it's just like, this is being done very blatantly. If all of that was happening on Gmail accounts that maybe weren't, you know, acquired as part of the steal, mm -hmm. this could have taken years to come out. It may not have come out at all. And I think one of the challenges with startups and with, with you know, these fast growing companies, uh, which is really hard is, and, and I've been through this on, uh, you know, on sort of the acquiring side of a deal is you end up with uh, fraud that's perpetrated by people that aren't even at these companies anymore. Cause the average tenure mm -hmm. at these tech companies might be a year or two. And so you do have these like growth by all costs people that come in. That's their mentality. That's sort of what they've been told. They're doing things with like purchase leads and purchase databases and like remarketing to those, those emails. And it's yep. kind of hard to get the paper trail of like what's actually happened. How did we acquire these, you know, accounts or these users or whatever. And so I think that there probably could have been like a lot more hand waving there. Uh, on her yeah. part, but like doubling down on the fraud is really what makes it blatant fraud and why she's, you know, probably going to 
end up in a minimum yeah. security prison over this, it seems like. <laughs> I mean, there's there were just so many better ways to commit the fraud here. I, yeah. It's just like, you know, if it, you're smart enough to go raise a ton of money, you should be smart enough to like at least try to hide your fraudulent acts. And the fact that they found out because they try to send their first email campaign <laughs> to millions of students and 70% bounced, like... That's such a solvable problem. There's so many ways of actually solving for that, that where, where at least it would have taken, like you said, way longer to find out by that point, she's long gone. They're going to wipe it under the, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to sort of, um, you know, bury, bury that under the rug and and no one's ever going to find out. But the fact that it happened so publicly and it became such a big public case is just, uh, yeah, it's, 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 fascinating and it's also really entertaining but yeah. i can't it kind of leads to the question that we were talking about before before we started recording just how many startups do we think are actually fraudulent and they either one never get caught because the stakes are too low like you only raised a couple million dollars from investors or you didn't sell for this massive outcome and it's really hard for investors to go track down and prove that you were being fraudulent during that time um, or two, they do get acquired and people are just like, it's not worth the effort of going to sue the founder. I don't want to be known as the person who goes and sues founders, but, yep. um, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know how many startups are fraudulent, but I would guess like at least 70% overstate everything. I mean, we're, we're going to see, I think we'll see a pretty crazy wave in the next, you know, 24 months here, the market, you know, from a VC perspective has gotten really bad. You went in, mm -hmm. in cases like 2021 where it was growth at all costs. And you also had firms like Tiger who could literally like end to end a $20 million series A in like 48 to 72 hours. Cause that's how competitive the market was. Yep. So all the things that you're talking about, I mean, you can ask the founders all day long if they have a good answer, you know, you, you, you physically don't have enough time as a venture right. firm when you're moving at that speed to uncover some of this stuff. And so if the, if the demand is like, if all the numbers go up into the right forever, we'll continue writing 20, then 40, then 80, then $150 million checks all day long. You now have this like uh, stalling of the market where I think it's, I do think it is somewhere like 10 to 20 times easier to raise a seed round than it is to get your company acquired just from a pure mm -hmm. diligence perspective and, and like speed of the deal. Um, where you have all these kind of very passive investors who, at least at the, the lower end of the market, are funding all these seed and Series A companies where, you know, I don't think this company, Frank, had raised a ton of money. Um, I think that they were only Series A or Series B. And selling for $175 million is probably a great outcome, sounds like for the founders, but also for the investors. So everybody's on board to make this yep. M&A process happen. And, you know, if if... If, if and when these companies do need to sell because the venture market isn't just going to continue going up into the right forever and valuations are coming down, companies will merge, companies will sell off divisions, companies will mm -hmm. flatline and need to work with private equity. And I think private equity in general has a very keen sense and a very keen eye of this kind of stuff because they, they just have yeah. a much more brutal approach than, than venture capitalists do to, to M&A and, and sort of what a company structure should look like and what to look for in cases like this. I think the good thing about VC-backed companies is that there is just a lot of uh, implicit trust. I think from working in, in mm -hmm. the VC world and also the private equity world, um, I was taught to sort of distrust everybody in private equity and to sort of mostly trust people in, in the venture capital and startup world. Oh, and yeah. I think we might see those those reputations like flipping a little bit here where like 
private equity becomes more friendly to work with and, and venture becomes harder to work with and acquirers become yeah. a lot harder on the, on the, you know, takeover opportunities and, you know, both in terms of diligence and uh, starting to dig into the, the actual data and the books here to, to find stuff like this. But yeah, I think it's, I have no idea what yeah. percentage, but I think it's a, it's a big number of overall companies, right? If like thousands or t low tens of thousands of companies have raised venture over the last 10 years, like mm -hmm. there have to be many more hundreds of use cases that have either sold and the fraud is happening under the acquirer and the acquirers never really figured it out and they got away with it. Or more than likely, like these companies are sort of, uh, you know, at a standstill and are unsure like where to go from here. But like if the company ends up being acquired, we'll see a number of cases like this, I have to imagine. Yeah. I also think don't commit fraud in a very highly regulated industry. And so yeah. when you look at when you look at Frank Financial, like the SEC is for sure gonna come down super hard on you when you're when you're defrauding a bank. The other one that comes to mind that uh, I don't know if the founders ended up in jail, but if you remember the SF poop testing startup, Ubiome, those two founders uh, were charged in a $60 million fraud scheme. And it's because they were basically collecting money on non-medically necessary uh, gut poop biome tests that they were submitting to health insurance companies. And they saw, I'm reading, I'm reading an article here. The federal indictment states that Ubiome sought upwards of 300 million in reimbursement claims from private and public health insurers between 2015 and 2019. And the company was ultimately paid more than $35 million for tests that were not validated and not medically necessary. And so this was a, uh, this was a couple founders, so a married couple who had started this company to, to basically test your poop. And, um, and ultimately they ended up, uh, they were accused of like falsifying documents, lying and concealing facts about their billing model when they were asked by insurance. I don't know if the, if the actual like poop testing device worked. And so ultimately they were defrauded, but this is like, don't fuck with the health insurance companies and don't fuck with the financial institutions because they will, will they will set an example of you and they will come after you. Like Theranos is another one. Like yep. Elizabeth Holmes is not having a great time still after defrauding uh, everyone from, from Safeway to Walgreens to consumers to investors. And, um, you know, it's just like, like pick and choose your, your fraud battles, I think is what it comes down to. And more and founders are just, yeah. who are running frauds need to get involved in B2B SaaS, right? I mean, you've yep, got like <laughs> Frank and FTX and Alameda research that ended up in like the finance industry, bad place to be. You've got Theranos and you've got Ubiome and like all these companies that are messing with healthcare, bad place to be. Yep. Come on over to B2B SaaS, you know, unlimited yeah, fraud know. opportunities, nobody breathing down your neck, you know, maybe Salesforce catches you doing some bad stuff, but Lord knows yeah. they're not perfect. So it's, it's a, look, it's a look, good world. Salesforce has no place to criticize fraudulent spending when they are paying Matthew McConaughey $10 million a year to be their <laughs> spokesperson. <laughs> they have no place to criticize. Thrilled, thrilled as a shareholder to hear that. So I think the, the one, the one you know, other company mentioned here that uh, you know, deserves our utmost praise, because uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame <laughs> on me. Fool me three times, what is this, Forbes 30 under 30? All of these people <laughs> have ended up in Forbes 30 under 30, right? Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. SBF from FTX, this founder, Charlie Jarvis, Gordon. like it's, it's unbelievable their track record. I think I, I tweeted about this today, $5.3 billion raised from the 40 or the Forbes 30 under 30. 
and at least 18 and a half billion in in known fraud right and i so think the impressive. question is how much is lingering out there right <laughs> uh, so my my last two years investing strategy of blindless uh uh just like blindlessly investing into forbes 30 under 30 founders is so far not working out great unfortunately yeah yeah um, <laughs> so to my lps that are finding out this way i'm sorry all i've done is invest in forbes 30 under 30 started companies Yep. It's, uh, you've had, uh, you've had like zero, uh, uh, what is it? TVPI and you've ended up in like seven court cases. <laughs> That's a pretty bad uh, track record as an investor. In these if days, if yeah. only, I mean, look, this probably will work out okay for the investors of Frank. They're going to walk away with their return. I doubt JP Morgan tries to claw, claw their returns back. They can't, they're suing the founder right. unless the investor had a board seat and likely they weren't even complicit in this. My guess is she went and did this rogue. Well, she tried to do it with another employee, went rogue, went to a data science professor. I wonder if he even knew. I forgot what that exchange was. I wonder if he even knew the extent of what was going on. She could have gone to him and said, like, hey, I'm a student at this professor at this university and I really want to make some fake accounts to train a data model. Like, can you help me with that? And totally. he's like, sure thing, I can consult. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who goes down down in this case with her. But um, yeah, uh, I think fraud is going to be a, a persistent topic on this podcast is because we cover uh, startup and VC land. And this is just, you know, VC fraud. I mean, I think we could do like a 25-part series about Web3 fraud, oh. which is just basically a history of the entire industry. But that uh, we'll have to save that for another <laughs> podcast because we're, we're getting close to time here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've uh, we've covered fraud today pretty well. Um, we will continue with updates depending on what happens with Charlie Javis's sentencing over the next. I don't know how many months these things take. Should we make some Jamie free Diamond. free Charlie Javis shirts? Jarvis shirts. <laughs> <laughs> rock those in the next pod. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd rock a hat in the next. All right. So whoever refers the most number of listeners to this podcast and sends us proof some way, just please don't make it fraudulent proof. We will send you a hat that says free Charlie Javis uh, yeah, at great. some point. In the, yeah. I think that would, we'll that's the happen. perfect giveaway. Actually, we should do this. This will, this will be a fun campaign for whoever. This be good. Uh, yeah. I, think I don't know how we're going to track it. We're going to end up with a lot of fraudulent data here. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a massive problem. We'll probably end up in court over like a $20 hat. It's, it's good. You know, this is yeah. all good for the podcast. It'll be great. Nothing like yeah. committing some fraud while talking about fraud. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, please give us a like, follow, subscribe. I don't really know how podcasts work still. So just like share us everywhere that you can. Tell us how much you love it. We love getting your, um, your feedback in our DMs. It's actually great. We try to adjust based on feedback every week. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the show.